power that have been exposed to us in the book of Ephesians. And last Sunday, we were able to dwell on the fact that we are at war with the evil forces that are always opposing us. And today, as we dwell on this very crucial and important aspect of our battle against Satan and his minions, we pray that you open our eyes, that we may fully grasp what is your mind concerning us through prayer. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please join me as I read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to verse 20. It reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt plate of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming dirts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chain, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So before diving into the text today, for today, 18 and 20, allow me to draw our attention back to some of the key verses that we have encountered in the book of Ephesians to give us a wider context of this epistle. Paul began this epistle on a very high note, as John MacArthur would say. He began it in the heavenlies, but ended it on his knees. Because Paul here shows us how God has blessed us with Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in chapter 1, verse 3. And in verse 4 of the same chapter, he speaks of how God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In verse 7, he says, He has redeemed us and forgiven us. And similarly, in 11, he has given us an inheritance in Christ and sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit in verse 13. He moves on to chapter 2. In verse 5, he God has made us alive with Christ by raising us with Christ. For he raised us from the dead along with, the, with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places, in heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ. In verse 8, that we all know that we have been saved by grace through faith. It is not by works of 
righteousness. And verse 10, those beautiful things that we are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works that was ordained for us before the foundation of the world. In verse 13, he says, We have been brought near to God. Those who once were far off, God has reconciled us unto himself. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, And he has made us fellow ears with God in Christ. And that's beautiful, 16. For he has strengthened us by the Holy Spirit. And he moves on. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, God has called us. Now, he moves on to a different section. God has called us to act worthy of Christ. Therefore, be eager, every one of you, to be at peace with one another. In verse 20, he says, God called us to put off our old selves and put on the new self. In chapter 5, Paul is also calling our attention to be imitators of Christ. And in verse 18, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit and not be drunk in wine. Keep on being filled. As the, as the translation from Greek, I mean the tense there, is a continual feeling. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be foolish by being drunk in wine. And he goes on in verse 22 to 33, how he compares the relationship between Christ's union with the church to the union that exists between husbands and wives. And Paul seals that in chapter 6. He gives instructions and blessings on Christian families. In speaking to children, obey your parents, honor them in the Lord, for this is right. And this is the first commandment with our promise. And now he's in chapter 6. And last week, John dealt with, as I said, in verse 10 to 17. And so Paul begins this section. It says, finally, in verse 10 to 20, finally, and he uses the word finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So he addressed the subjects in these verses of our spiritual warfare in light of the supernatural benefits that God has blessed us in heavenly places with Christ. He didn't just jump to telling us about spiritual warfare, but he has laid for us to see, do not be scared, for God has already made provision for you, but I must tell you the other side of the story, that these things will happen. And so he gives us his assurance. However, he used the, this climatic point in his letter to remind believers that from the same heavenly, we would confront cosmic powers whose sole intention is to oppose us, to tempt us, to afflict or destroy us, to frustrate, have you been oppressed, to deceive and rob us of these blessings that Paul has just told us in all of these chapters, building on to this point. 
And he seemed to be telling his readers that they will be engaged in constant spiritual battle against Satan and his agents until Christ our King returns and vanquish all his enemies once and for all. But until then, our victory over Satan is only in part. By this I mean, although Christ has already won us victory by his death upon the cross, just as Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and with its legal demands, he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame triumphing over them in Christ. I love the King James Version says, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in Christ. So in one sense, our victory over Satan is evident now. We have an evident victory over him now based on the immense power and benefits of that every believer has as outlined in this epistle from chapter 1 to chapter 3. At the same time, it is a not yet. So even though it's now, it's a not yet. In view of the daily struggles against, that we battle against the wiles of the devil. It is like winning a battle. For those of you who have served in the military, you know this. You've won a battle, but you still have some sniper elements still lingering around. So it's like mopping up. I come from a country where we had war, 11 years of civil war, so I know a little a thing or two about war. And so you hear the soldiers say, we are mopping up, meaning that there are some elements still lingering in those nook and crannies, and it can cause you harm. You're mopping them up. Though our victory is sure like daylight, so is our fight against the devil. God has given us victory in Christ. But still we have this sniper element who can still disturb us as we go about our daily lives. So in one sense, this victory is now. But yet, it's, in, it's a not yet. But I tell you the truth that Christ will return someday and vanquish him forever. And we would have our victory that no more will be taken away or no longer will be threatened by Satan and his demons. It is in view of this reality that Paul presents us with this rather antiquated narrative, you know, about spiritual warfare. To equip us in dealing with those spiritual battles. Last Sunday message we heard that this passage is perhaps one of the most unsettling passages, you know, in Scripture, especially for modern and Western Christians, but certainly so not for our African brothers and sisters or people from third world countries who see those things in manifestation every day in their lives. We are not so sophisticated. To think that the devil has ditched his old tricks. Still the devil. Same devil in America is the same devil in Sierra Leone. The same devil in America is the same devil in Bangladesh. He's still the same old guy who is causing us harm. 
He knows his tricks. Therefore, since Scripture recognizes the activities of these cosmic forces that we are constantly that are constantly against us, no amount of modern mindset or worldview can absolve you from the effects or neutralize the powers of Satan and his agent without being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He is no respecter of persons, no respecter of cultures, no respecter of what you think about him. His sole aim is to cause you harm, and he is still doing it. Otherwise, why our streets no, why our streets still flowing with blood? Why are there so many killings? Why abortion is still thriving? Or why are families breaking? And abuse and oppression raging? And morality is falling and spirituality is waning. We see our society is devoid of moral. There's a total moral decadence that is going on. And you think that the old serpent has forgotten his skills? He's still at work. Still at work. So in, so in addition to the six elements of the armor of God, Paul described in verses 10 to 17, he presents us with prayer in verse 18 to 20 as a seventh essential and inevitable weapon that undergirds the rest of the other weapons of spiritual warfare. This is where we are this morning. Prayer. Prayer, the essence of prayer. It's a vital part of our weapon of spiritual warfare. So Paul saved the best for the last. Therefore, verses 10 to 17 and 18 to 20 must be understood in one context. You cannot separate them. Understand them in that sense. So the first point we'll deal with today is a call to devote ourselves to prayer in verse 18. Prayer is unarguably one of the most essential characteristics of every believer's life. Hence, you may have heard some of these popular sayings. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Or the family that prays together stays together. And even most of the couple that prays together stays together. But the one that gets me the most is a prayerless Christian. It's a powerless Christian. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Why? Because prayer is not only a means of getting our needs met, but a channel of communication that brings us in fellowship with our Heavenly Father and connects us to the source of our power and strength to withstand the powers of this dark world that we live in. Have you noticed of late that you easily get irritated, fearful, angry, discouraged, depressed, anxious, tempted, relapsed in an old sinful habit? Or are you becoming prideful Unloving and unforgiving, envious, complacent, 
lethargic in reading God's word and making his words known, or sitting with doubt and unbelief. The list will go on. First, check your prayer life before considering other factors. Check your prayer life. I'm not saying that all of these issues are solely caused by prayerlessness. No, on the contrary, I am saying, what I'm saying here is that those behaviors are easy to thrive in hearts that are prayerless. They are very easy to thrive in hearts that are prayerless because you disconnect yourself from the source of your strength, which Paul has already told us about. And you begin to see this little foxes building in your heart. You cannot go to your father and pray those things and get your strength from him and stand out and the devil easily gets you into those directions. Search your heart. Know yourself. How connected are you with your source of strength? Friends, we have an enemy. He's busy doing his work. How much are we doing our part, our work of connecting with our Father? So Paul underscored the importance of this last element of our weaponry of spiritual warfare as both defensive and offensive weapon with which we can wreak havoc in the kingdom of darkness because through prayer we can hold our ground against the barrage of the enemy's attack against us, whether in temptation, discouragement, fears, or doubt. Philippians 12, verse 6, one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication make your requests made known to God. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will rule your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Prayer can get you there. Through prayer, we can trust God to change situations. James 5 verse 13 says, Is anyone in trouble? Let him pray. Let him pray. Through prayer, we can seek comfort in the Lord no matter the situation. Through prayer, we can ask the Father to deepen our understanding of his love. Paul says to us in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people, through prayer. And through prayer, we can rise from the ashes of defeat to victory in Christ. Do you feel defeated? Connect yourself to the source of your strength, and you will rise from the ashes of defeat. And through prayer, we can ask God to save sinners by softening their hearts to receive the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew um, 9 verse um, uh, 38 concerning praying for laborers. He says, Your harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the field. Through prayer, we can amass an army that will go out and do the most offensive thing to the devil. That is to spread the good news and win souls from his kingdom of darkness unto the marvelous light of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He hates that. We can, through prayer. And through prayer, marriages have been saved and relationship restored. Through prayer, we can advance the kingdom of God. And of course, through prayer, we frustrate the plots and plans of the devil. He sees us pray. He's annoyed. He's angry. Because he knows that you are wreaking havoc in his kingdom. The plans that he has for you, you are undoing them. Because you are enlisting your power and strength from the almighty God. And Jesus Christ has told us he has made a public spectacle of all his powers. And you and I are beneficiaries of that. We can pray. That is why Satan hates Christians, couples, families, churches who take prayer seriously. Because prayer keeps the supply roots of our spiritual armory to combat the evil forces of Satan open. As long as we are praying, we are seeking God, we ask the plan root is open. Every day, every moment, it's open. And he hates that. No wonder Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, verse 31 to 32, he said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan had, has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. This guy is in a situation Jesus notices. And he said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When he found them sleeping in Matthew 26, verse 41, he said to them, at the height of his agony, he said to them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what he prescribed for them. Watch and pray. Pray. That's the reason why that saying the prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And here is what John Piper says about prayer in light of spiritual warfare. And the quote is right behind me. We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is. But it is certainly that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. 
God has given us prayer as the wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in this war. The devil hates that. He hates it. He knows it. It's not an intercom fixed on the wall. We walk around with it everywhere. We are able to pray. So now let's look at the characteristics of the kind of prayer Paul recommended in verse 18 in the context of spiritual warfare and prayer in general. And notice here that Paul used four alls. If you go to verse 18, there are four universal alls that Paul is using to capture the imperative of prayer, why prayer is so important. Number one, the first all relates to the nature of prayer. He says, pray on all occasion in the Spirit. Paul urged the believers to pray constantly. But what does it mean to pray constantly? Let me first say what it's not. It is not a religious adherence to certain practices and rules about prayer as prescribed in some religions like the five daily prayers of Islam or the chanting in Buddhism. That's not what it means to pray at all times. Rather, it suggests that the frequency of our prayer should not be reserved for certain occasions, locations, or time. The frequency of our prayer should transverse all of these seasons of the day and periods of the day. In addition to our personal time that you may spend to commune with the Lord in your quiet time and your devotion, every believer should always be ready to pray as the circumstances may demand. In other words, don't wait to pray. Don't wait to pray. Pray in the car. Pray in the kitchen. Pray at the grocery store. Pray in the middle of a conversation. Pray in the shower. And even now as I speak, you can pray. You can pray. Of course, these kinds of prayer, not the kind of closet prayer that is very maybe long or, you know. But this is just your communion with God. Max Lucado says, one of the best prayers that anyone could pray, help me, Jesus. Help me. Help. I need help. You don't have to wait until you go back home to get into your closet and kneel down to pray. While you're driving, there's something that just dropped on your mind. Pray about it. Pray. While you are cooking, pray for your family, pray for your spouse, pray for your children, pray anywhere. There is no limitation of time or location or any occasion itself. Pray. Next, Paul says, pray in the Spirit. Perhaps this is one of the aspects of the nature of prayer that some Christians tend to disagree on. For example, Pentecostals and Charismatic, for, you know, tend to believe that it refers to praying with ecstasy or in tongues. We're not dealing with that. But others believe that it is the heartfelt, passionate kind of prayer. But what did Paul mean in this context? I believe 
he was referring to this in terms of praying in accordance with the truth of the Spirit and the gospel. Praying God's word. You never go amiss when you pray God's word back to God. Never. His word, his truth is established. So when you pray God's word, according to God's purpose and God's mind, you never go amiss. I'm not saying you get your need met immediately. It's not an ATM. But it ain't you get it out. And that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying it glorifies God. And God listens. The timing is in his hands. We can control that. And the way we can pray God's word is to plant God's word in our hearts. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God dwell richly in you. And in the way that we can cause the word of God to dwell richly in us is to meditate on God's word. We read God's word. We have to meditate on God's word. And in order for God's word to dwell in us and to meditate upon it and to have effect, we must surrender unto God. And when we surrender unto God and meditate on his word that is dwelling in us, we say it until we believe it and we pray it. And when we do that, God honors his word. The word of the Lord would never pass away. He said, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but not his word. Nothing will return unto me void that I have spoken. It glorifies him. I tell you the truth. I mentioned Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. I ate those words, literally. It was a time in my life where I needed to just, I just needed that. Because the circumstances was a lot, everyday new stuff. But then I learned that the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. So it means anxiety, do nothing. But prayer, do everything. Pray. You're feeling anxious? Pray. Pray. Seek God. And next it talks about here is the nature of our prayer. Now, the variety of our prayer. Paul says the next all that he addresses in verse 18 is a prayer with all kinds of prayer and requests. When Paul admonished the believers to pray constantly, he didn't mean engage in a kind of memorized, repetitive recital or some kind of invocational or liturgical kind of prayer that you go back to, you recite every minute. That's not what he was talking about. When he says all kinds of prayer, he says in Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Rather, the idea of all kinds of prayer means engage in variety of prayers. Engage. And what are some of these varieties? Group prayer, individual prayer, silent prayer, shouting prayer, walking prayer, kneeling prayer, eloquent prayer, groaning prayer, constant prayer, fervent prayer. 
pray. Do something, pray. Whichever way it takes, pray. You want to lift up your hands, pray lifting up your hands. You want to prostrate before God, pray. When the psalmist prayed in Psalm 13, how long, oh Lord, how long? He wasn't standing around, you know, wiggling his fingers, how long, oh God, how long? No. That was the kind of prayer he was pouring his heart. It was lamentation prayer. Lamenting, how long, oh Lord, how long? Pray. Whatever it takes, pray. And don't look at others as strange when they engage in those varieties of prayer. If you feel like lifting up your hands, they said, during worship, do it. Feel free to do so. Several Sundays ago, one thing that Drew did that just touched my heart. When he was preaching on Philippians, uh, uh, Ephesians 3, when he got to that portion, the Paul says, For this reason I bow the knees of my heart. He knelt down here and invited us, if you can, kneel down and pray. It might have made some people uncomfortable, I don't know. But Jesus Christ modeled all of these prayers for us. There are days he knelt down, he prayed. His sweat was like blood. There are days he stood at the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, and he lifted up his voice to God in heaven aloud. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. There are days he must have prayed quietly. Pray. Varieties of prayer. Paul says all kinds of prayer. And making your requests made known to God. That's the reason why we take prayer seriously here. We pray at the beginning of the church here. We pray in the middle. We pray sometimes we have intercessory prayer. We pray at the end. Prayer is relevant. So you can pray. And at the beginning of a meeting, you meet with a friend. Pray. You visit with a friend, you live and pray. God honors it. You can pray for your boss at work. If you're a boss, pray for your workers. Do not take it for granted. Pray if you're a doctor. Pray for your client, your, your patients. Pray for your clients. Pray for your customers. Pray before you start your, your, the day at work. You sit at your table. Just pray. Say a word of two of, to God. God, help me today to do what I've got to do right. Pray. And don't take anything as I say for granted because sometimes we feel so confident in our abilities. We've done this thing over and again, so I'm going to do it. Anyway, I never take any speaking engagement or moments for granted. Never. Even if I'm speaking to elementary kids, I'm speaking to whoever, always ask God. Speak through me. Be with me. When you trust in your power, soon you realize that that's where lies all the errors and the mistakes. And of course, you take your eyes from the Lord. They hear, hear what Winston Churchill said to England in the middle of the war. He says, I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardice is treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst wartime crime. It's the worst. When God looks upon you, is he seeing that you're not trusting in your own powers? and abilities, and you're no longer connected with him, 
and ask him for grace? Pray. The next all that Paul talks about here is the manner of prayer. He says, pray with all alertness and all perseverance. Stay in verse 18. Since Paul entreated his readers to pray constantly with all kinds of prayer and petitions, he also described the manner of their prayer. That is, they must be alert and pray with all perseverance or zeal. Alertness to the need of prayer is one of the believer's most vital early warning system. We have an early warning system. Scripture says no temptation has ever taken anyone by which the Lord has not given them a way of escape. When the devil comes tempting, the Lord is there. He alerts us, but most often we fail to listen. So he's alert. His early warning system, pray. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, the devil wants to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. He noticed the early warning system. Do you notice that early warning system? Do you take action upon that early warning system? When you are beginning to, like, your temperature is just rising, your eyes are getting red like fire, and your hair is popping out, and you are noticing that you are just about to get off cause. That is an early warning system. Pray. Do not let your anger lead to sin. Pray. But we neglect those. And Winston Churchill said it's one of the worst war crimes that we can do. And the devil knows it. So let's be alert. Don't neglect to pray when God drops something to your mind, pray immediately. There are countless stories about missionaries and Christians who have been saved from danger because just in time of a looming danger or temptation or trial, God prompted someone to pray for them. And they prayed. And God intervened. Not too long ago, I was faced with some kind of a difficult, you know, situation, challenging situation that affected me emotionally beyond what I could withstand. And while I'm going through this, and of course my first recourse is to rely upon the Lord, you know, but even sometimes those moments get so tough. Trusting God becomes even difficult because we have the devil who is now challenging you, putting doubts in your head. But then God also requires you to have, to maintain a uh, kind of a posture, an attitude of reliance upon him and not take matters into your own hands. And that can be challenging for us as Christians. As I went through that, I even asked some people to pray for me. But the thing that encouraged me the most is that a, a pastor friend of mine in California that I've not spoken to for a long time, God just laid on his heart, and this has never happened between him and I, but God just laid to his heart to start praying for me. For Monday, he was praying. And he takes his phone to text, but he just kept pushing up, but he kept praying. On Friday, my wife and I received a text message from him. And he says, I don't know why, but God has been laying on my heart to pray for Edgar, especially Edgar, praying against discouragement. That's someone who was attentive and alert. He there was no way that he would have had any clue 
that I needed a prayer. And he has never sent me a text message for all these years, decades I've known him, never. But that time, God laid on his heart to pray. Friends, we too sometimes get those kind of flashes of somebody in our memory or we hear something. God has given us an opportunity to pray for such a person. Why? Because we are at war. We are at war. Don't take it for granted. First Peter 5 verse 8 sums this notion quite well. He says, be alert, be sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's doing it all the time. But God has given us a way to put him at bay. And that is through our prayer. And briefly, quickly, the next point I want to just go through briefly here is that the object and subject of our prayer. Verse 18b to 20. And that is the fourth all that Paul addressed in this text is the object of the believer's prayer. He first says to pray for all the saints. And this imperative is particularly important in view of the militaristic metaphor that he has used to describe the spiritual warfare, the weapons of our spiritual warfare. And now he is saying, pray for all believers. And the significance of this, his appeal to pray for all the saints emanates from the notion that spiritual warfare is one that all believers, both individually and corporately, are always facing. Therefore, we need the intercession of fellow believers if we are to withstand the evil day and having done all this to stand. That is why that friend of mine, I was facing spiritual battle, but a friend of mine, God laid to his heart and he prayed for me. And I tell you, I was encouraged, but I was even greatly encouraged when I received his text. And I was like, yeah, Lord, I've got legions of angels on my side who are fighting on my behalf. But then there are saints who are praying for me. And in this church, I've got people who every day pray for me and my family. And I know they do that for you too. But you also need to pray for someone. Make it your duty. Pray for them. And when we pray together, we are able to overcome the powers of darkness together. So we should keep praying for each other. Pray for those taking the gospel to the rich places and cultures. In fact, this whole narrative or discourse is set within the context of a mythological purpose. Because we see what Paul says at the end. Pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution everywhere, every day, for their faith in Christ. We may feel powerless to do anything about their suffering. But there's something that we have power to do. Because God has given us that power. is to pray. And God who owns all powers, who is sovereign will go into action on behalf of these brothers and sisters, wherever they may be. I read a story of a man in Asia, a family in Asia, who uh, some jihadists attacked the neighborhood. He's Christian. 
They had attacked his neighbor. They tortured him and, and burned him, set him ablaze. And now the jihadists were coming to his compound. As they were advancing, he saw them. And the only number he could remember was a missionary friend who is serving overseas. And he called that missionary and said, this is what is happening to us now. And the missionary, in a knee-jerk reaction, said, let me come. He says, don't. They'll kill you. He says, but you know what? Please just ask everybody that you know out there in the, in the, in the United States to pray for us. Pray for us. And immediately he went on the internet and sent the message. 300 Christians started praying. Right there started praying. Guess what? The jihadists came. They tried to do everything. They could not get into his house, even though the door was unlocked. They were delivered. Christians in America praying for another Christian family in Asia, and God steps in, and God saves. We can pray, and God can do miracles. Therefore, no matter how weak and inexperienced we may feel, we can all pray for the unity in the body of Christ, for saints as they encounter difficult moments, praying for them to, to the one who can save, for the one who can deliver. And this is one area that many of you who are seniors can really excel. You may not have the agility of a youth anymore, to move mountains literally or figuratively. But there's something that you are so powerful to do. You got some little more of time to yourself. You can pray and destroy the plots and plans of the evil one. You can frustrate Satan every day. As I told you, I've got some people here who pray for me. I joke. I say, you give the devil a run for his money. Many times I could have died. Many of you know that. But they prayed. And God, and the church, of course, this church has just prayed me back on many occasions. Paul says, pray also for me. And whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. Pray that I may declare it boldly. We notice here that Paul called to, for prayer on behalf of Himself, heavily was geared toward preaching or proclaiming the gospel. He said, pray that I would fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This indicates to me that the gospel, more than anything else, is a cause for Satan's most aggressive and repulsive attack against Christianity. The gospel. It's, it's, he hates it to hear a reminder that Jesus has overcome, that Jesus died. And it says, if they had only known what it meant to crucify Christ, they would not have. The devil did not know that he said that I will lay down my own body, and after three days I will raise it up. And he did that, and the devil said, what? We thought we just got him. And Colossians says, he made a public spectacle, disgraced him. And when he sees you and I taking that gospel to set men free, to set them, to give them hope of eternal life, the devil goes into 
serious anger mode. He attacks us with fear, discouragement, persecution, and sometimes apathy for the souls of those who are perishing. So Paul says, pray for me that I would be fearless and courageous to proclaim this truth. Similarly, we can pray for those who preach the gospel and pray for those who are persecuted for the same gospel. And pray when they are persecuted that they would not see themselves as victims, but as dignified ambassadors and representatives of the glorified king. We can ask God. Spiritual warfare, friends, we cause a lot of harm into the devil's kingdom when we go and engage in prayer. We may be mocked, we may be rejected, we may be derided, we may be called fanatics, we may be called bigots, but we are doing the right thing. God wants us to pray. And finally, Paul had demonstrated to us the importance of prayer in the battle against our invisible ancient foe and his legions. And he says, Paul, and Paul wants us now to understand that we are, we are at constant war as spiritual forces. And therefore, to prevail in this war, prayer is inevitable for every believer. As Piper says, we cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Friends, we have been called to pray. And Paul wants us also to remember that there is strength and power in prayer of individual believers but even more so when we pray collectively. We are individual soldiers, but no one soldier wins war, a war, but an army. It takes an army to win a war. So when we pray together, when we pray for one another, we are a mighty army, destroying the forces of darkness that are in constant war against us. This is what Paul had in mind. When he wrote, finally, be strong in the power of his might. And he concludes, on his knees, pray. Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great privilege that you've given us and so reminded us about the need for prayer. We ask that today you will help us always to remember this. And now please rise with me as I, can, I say, we share the benediction. Can you please rise with me? Now may the one who is able to make all grace abundance to us so that in all sufficiency, in all things and all times, give us grace to do all things right in the power of his might. Amen.